Today we're going to kind of go back in time a little bit from where we've been. Uh, we were looked at uh, Saul and David and Solomon over the last few weeks, Mephibosheth in between there. Um, today we're going to go kind of backwards and go back to Samuel and his, his mother Hannah. We're going to talk about her first, and then we'll talk mostly about Samuel afterwards. Uh, two great, uh, great characters of the Old Testament that are both of them, I believe, are worthy of, of looking up to. We've had quite a few knuckleheads along the way. Uh, these two are two of, the, of our better examples. So we'll start with, with Hannah. Hannah is unable to conceive. She's barren. And she cries out to God. Saying, God, if you just help me have a, a baby boy, I'd give that baby boy back to you to serve you for, for all his life. And God hears her prayer, and, and she's able to conceive. So when she gives, she gives birth to, to Samuel, and she has Samuel, for about three years of his life until she's going to give Samuel back to God like she promised God in the first place. So Samuel's roughly three. We don't know his exact, exact age, but generally he's about three by the time they're completely weaned and, and ready to go. So he's just a little boy, and she's going to give him to the, the high priest, to the priest Eli to, to raise and to bring up, and he's gonna, Samuel's going to spend his whole life serving God. And so she's going give to give her into the bargain. God, God held up his. She's going give, to give hers. And as she goes to give Samuel to, to Eli to be raised by him and to be, become a man of God, this is a song, or her prayer, excuse me, in which she, she prays to God. Now for all parents out here who have children, you can only imagine the great grief and anguish that she's experiencing as she's going to give her three-year-old little baby boy to, to Eli to be raised by him and to be brought up in the temple. You can imagine how her heart is breaking at this moment. She, she promised God that if God gave her this son, she'd give this son back to him. And likely taking a Nazarite vow, which if you remember earlier on, Samson took that same vow, that he would be of service to God. And that's likely the same vow that Hannah gives, gives for Samuel. And this is her prayer to God as she, as she delivers Samuel to Eli. She says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. For the foundations of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah, her husband, went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli. 
the priest. Now, if we were to put ourselves in, in Hannah's shoes, one, she's, she's ecstatic that she's even given the opportunity to have, have this son. But you can just imagine how, how brokenhearted she, she is as she gives that son to Eli, and she will not have that son to raise as her own. Her heart is, has to be breaking. And yet, her, her prayer is one of praise. It's one of, of giving God and God alone the glory. And it's a wonderful example for us of how we ought to handle ourselves when things are good and when things are bad. That our foundation doesn't change. That if our foundation is in God, then no matter what comes our way, whether it's great things or it's terrible things, that foundation is the same. Everything above it, it might be in question. Everything else, we might, we might be in great anxiety and fear. But when the foundation's been set, just like a home, if the foundation's right, we can build everything else right from there. If the foundation's wrong, everything else is going to go wrong no matter what. When the storm hits, everything will come crashing down. And to me, as we look at Hannah, we see someone whose foundation is firmly planted in God. Someone who has put all her faith, all her trust, all her, all her comfort is, is placed in him and him alone. And what a wonderful example she sets for us of how we ought to handle ourselves no matter what comes our way. Now from here on, we're going to focus more of our attention on, on Samuel, but Hannah's a, a wonderful example for us of how we ought to be. So we picked the story up in 1 Samuel 3, and we're going to focus now on Samuel himself. So we, the Bible tells us in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1 through 4, it says this, The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could, not, he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord, where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. He ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the third time the Lord called Samuel. Samuel got up, went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now there's a few things I want you to notice in there. One, as God calls Samuel by his name, obviously Samuel thinks it's Eli calling for him. He must need something. Three times this happens, right? God calls to Samuel, Samuel thinks it's Eli, until Eli finally figures out, realizes what's going on. I want you to see Samuel's response. Three little words every time God calls to him. Those words are, here I am. Essentially saying, yes, what do you need? If you think back to some of the sermons we've already had weeks or months ago, Abraham received a call. Abraham, I need you to go to a mountain. I need you to sacrifice your son there. Genesis 22. If you remember, when God calls to Abraham, you know what the three words he uses. Here I am. Moses, when he's called by God, responds to God with three words. Those words are, here I am. 
you look at the Old Testament and you survey it and you go through it, those words pop up time and time again in the mouths of those who are faithful. When God calls, their response has, is always, yes, God, what do you need? Here I am. Here I am. When God calls to us, our response needs to be the same response of Abraham and Moses and Samuel. Yes, God, what do you need? Here I am. Here I am, God. It's a response of the faithful for thousands and thousands of years to God. It's God, here I am. Do what you need to do. Let me know what you need from me because I'm in. I'm with you. The faithful respond that way always. Now, it's scary sometimes. Remember, Abraham was asked to leave everything he'd ever known, his family, everything, and go to this strange place just on a promise from God. Moses has to return to a life in which he he fled from because he had killed the Egyptian, right? And and God says, I need to go back there. He goes, I'd rather not. I'm a wanted man there. I killed somebody. I'd rather not. I'd like to stay out here with my sheep and just mind my own business. God says, nope, I need you to go back, right? The, the, The call of God isn't always comfortable. Matter of fact, most time it isn't comfortable. But when we trust our hope is placed in him, when he calls, we hear it and we respond to it. Now hopefully in your life sometime you've had somebody who's a little more mature in the faith than you are who can help you understand that calling. And we see a wonderful example of it here. Right? God's calling to Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli three times. Finally the third time we see Eli, he knows what's going on. Right? Eli's, he's a priest of God. Scripture tells us in the second half of verse 8, right? Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So he gives him instructions. Okay, Samuel, you go lie down. And when he calls you again, you say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. There's, that's what you need to respond with. We all need that person in our life, and hopefully you've had those people in your life, more, probably more than one, who are just a little further along in their faith journey than you are that can help pull you along and help bring you there. And Eli is that person for Samuel, right? He helps Samuel realize that, hey, that's God calling you. and You need to listen. When God calls, listen and respond this way. And so Samuel goes and, and lays down, and this is what happens in verse 10. It says, The Lord came and stood there, calling as, a, as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. See, Eli's problem is he has some sons that are terrible human beings. And Eli is in charge. He's the priest right now. And Samuel's just learning from him. And God brings this statement to Samuel. Now you poor Samuel's a little boy. Not sure how old he is at this point, but he's just a boy. Probably under, the, probably under the age of 12 or 13. And this is what God speaks to him. Now, I don't know about you, but when God speaks, you're hoping for something a little more positive, right? For, especially for the first message. He goes, hey man, the, that guy that your mentor, the guy that you're, you're living here in the, in the tabernacle with at this point, I, I warned him what was going to happen if his sons continued on their ways. And they've continued in this ways, and so I'm taking everything from him. Samuel's got to be thinking, well, that's great news, right? I'm so, so excited I woke up for this. Samuel lays back down. I'm sure he doesn't get a lot of sleep after the news that God brings him. 
And this is what happens in verse 15. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Can't say I blame him, right? But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answers. How's the answer? Here I am. Here I am. What was it he said to you? If you're Samuel, you're trying to think really fast on your feet of how fast you can make up a lie, right? About, oh, he said everything's really great. He's super excited about you and your kids and everything's going to work out right, right? He's just a boy, guys. This isn't easy. Speaking truth isn't always easy. It isn't. It's necessary. It's important that we speak truth, right? We say true things. It's important. But it isn't always easy. If you've ever been in a situation where the truth is going to hurt somebody really, really badly, it's not fun. As a chaplain, I've had opportunities to do death notifications. Those are not not fun. You're going to go knock on someone's door and tell them that someone they love is not there anymore. You don't get to use fun language like passed away or like you have to tell them, hey, that, that person's dead. That's truth, but it's not fun truth. What Samuel has to do is just a young boy. He has to, in this moment, he has to speak truth. And that can be extraordinarily difficult sometimes. Eli helps him at least. Eli helps kind of make it a little easier. So Eli asks him, what did he say to you? What did God say? Eli asks him, and this is what Eli keeps saying. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. Eli says, give it to me straight, Samuel, right? Just give me the truth. What did he say? So Samuel, in verse 18, tells him everything. Hiding nothing from him. And look at Eli's response. This is called maturity. When someone gives you news that you don't want to hear, and they confront you with something that maybe you've done that hurt them or somebody else, and they're going to come to you as a friend and say, hey, this is what happened. This is how you ought to respond. It's not how we mostly respond. Most time we get really defensive, right? This is how we should respond. Look what Eli says at the end of verse 18. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Eli is a, a good man. His sons are not good men. And Eli says, you know what? Absolutely. God's just in his, in his judgment. Now, we don't all respond that way. Oftentimes, like I said earlier, we get a little defensive when someone calls us out on something, right? We get ready for a fight. Eli says, he's right. God's right. Can't, can't be upset with him. What he said is true. But I want you to think for a minute of the courage that takes Samuel to, to speak the truth in this moment. That's not an easy word to deliver. And for the first time that you hear from God, for that to be the message that you get to deliver is not a fun one, especially as a young boy. And yet Samuel does it. He does what God asks him to do. Like I told you earlier, what, when God asks us to do things, God's not worried about our comfort. When God says, hey, you need to help that person. Or when God says, hey, you need to speak some truth into that person's life in love, right? Speak that truth in love. Truth should always be spoken in love. If you're speaking truth just to speak truth, then you're a bully. If right, because sometimes your truth might not actually be the truth. And so, so we, everyone, we all know somebody who likes to speak truth but can't take it back, right? You get back to them and, and they break down. Like, no, I can't have that. You have to speak truth in love. The motivation has to be pure still. There's lots of people who just say true things. That doesn't mean that they, they, sometimes it feels like it's a hammer over the head. Truth should always be seasoned with love. Apostle Paul tells us that in the book of Romans. Speak truth in love. But truth is, is important. It's always been important. Our Judeo-Christian ethic has always held truth at a very, very high standard. And Samuel's able to speak truth. 
And bravo to him. Like that's, that's not easy to do as a young man, and he's able to do it. We learn that Samuel kind of passes that first test. God's going to use him. He's going to use him the rest of his life. And 1 Samuel 3.19, it says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So Samuel's going to be part of what we call the judges. He's actually the last of the judges, like Deborah and Samson. There's other judges that we've talked about or we will talk about. But he's also a prophet. So he's going to hear from God, and he's going to deliver that. Now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that prophets aren't very popular people most of the time. Right? They don't, they're not puppies and rainbows, unicorns kind of people, right? They're, God gives them, normally the Israelites, God's people have gone astray, they've gone their own way, and God sends a prophet to say, hey, knuckleheads, correct yourself, or things are going to go south. I mean, that's about as plain as I can get it for you. I mean, that's, that's what happens, right? And over and over again in the Old Testament, that's what we see. God's people go good for a little while, then they take a turn, and they, they chase after other gods, and God sends a prophet to say, hey, knock it off, and they've follow for a while, right? And then they go back to their old way, and it's just a cycle over and over and over again. So Samuel's going to be one of those prophets. Prophets don't always get to speak positive things. Now time passes. <clears throat> Samuel's able to, to, to bring about a, it's going to bring about a king in just a minute, right? We saw that before in, Sa- in Saul, and that's what this story is. So this story is going to sound familiar. When we talked about Saul, we talked about this part of the story. So Samuel's growing older. He appoints his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they served at Beersheba. But his sons, it's going to sound familiar, did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Samuel's sons are going to follow and sound a lot lot like Eli's sons. Remember Eli's sons had went and gone their own way and done a very similar thing? And there's some things that God just can't put up with and, and being dishonest and perverting justice, God doesn't have a lot of patience for. Which if you go to Washington, D.C. sometime, remind them of that, okay, when you go there. Just, just in their ear, just whisper, you know, hey, just pay, read that. God's not super excited when you pervert justice. He doesn't like it very much. Our God is a just God. He's loving, absolutely. He's also just doesn't like injustice. doesn't like when people are taken advantage of and people are hurt. And Samuel's sons are doing that. Instead of making judgments that are right, they're taking bribes, they're accepting bribes, and they're crooked. And God's not going to put up with that. It's not going to happen. And the people see it too, and they don't want to put up with it either. So the elders of Israel gathered together, and they come to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, You are old, and your sons do not follow your ways. Appoint us a king to lead us like all the other nations. This should sound familiar if you're here for the sermon about Saul, right? The elders of Israel see it. Hey, we don't want Samuel's sons taking over. They're knuckleheads. They're not going to do, do things the way they should. We want to be like everybody else. Give us a king. As I said earlier, Samuel's going to be the last of the judges. Samuel warns them. God says, okay, Samuel, if this is what they want, go ahead, but warn them. Make sure they know. So Samuel gives a lengthy warning about what the kings are going to do. Hey, when you have a king, he's going to take your people, you're going to wage war, he's going to tax you, he's going to do all these things to you, right? And verse 19 says this. People refuse to listen to Samuel. Remember, Samuel is a prophet. You're supposed to listen to those people. 
God gives them a warning. They warn the people this is what's going to happen when they have a king. But they've already made up their minds, right? They refuse to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight other, our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Samuel anoints Saul. We all saw, if you were here for that message, if you weren't, it's online. Saul goes his own way, does his own thing. And so God says, nope, he's done. I'm going to have another king. And Samuel actually gets to anoint King David as well. Now he anoints King David as Saul is not too excited about it. And so Samuel does what God asks him to do, even when his own life's on the line. And when he anoints King David, he puts his life on the line because Saul is not, not happy about it. In chapter 25 of 1 Samuel, Samuel dies. It says, now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. They buried him at his home in Ramah, and then David moved down into the desert of Paran. 1 Samuel 25 is Samuel's death. The thing about it is if you look at chapter 24, and if you look at chapter 26, they're actually really important chapters. Chapter 24 is when David spares Saul's life the first time. Chapter 26 is when David spares Saul's life the second time. Saul's chasing after David, trying to kill him, and David has a chance to kill Saul, right? Just in this whole thing, and he doesn't. He's obedient. He says, I'm not going to, no, this is God's king, and he's still God's king, and I'm not gonna, it's not going to be me who ends his life. And I find it interesting that Samuel dies in the, mi- in the middle of that. It's as if there's some hope when you're reading through 1 Samuel. That God is, is gonna, it's going to be okay. But as leadership is being transitioned from Saul to David, Samuel dies in the middle of that. It's a terrible time. It's a turbulent time in the nation of Israel, right? I mean, Saul's literally hunting David, trying to kill him, knowing that, that, that God has already said David's the next king, and Saul's jealous and doesn't like it, right? And so he's, he's chasing after David. And in the middle of all this conflict and all this chaos, Samuel dies. See, Samuel came into the world under pretty wild circumstances, right? A prayer to God from a faithful woman. And he's going to die in the midst of David, in the midst of David's faithfulness, right? Of David saying, I won't kill Saul. I'll let God take it. Take, take it. God will take care of it all. Samuel's a, a man who's faithful to the end, does what God asks him to do. Somebody that we can look up to. Somebody who does it the right way. See, there's others that we've, we've seen that are supposed to be like him. Samson actually had the same vow that Samuel took. Remember, Samson had that same Nazarite vow that, that Samuel's mother placed on, on him. As we saw from Samson, I was pretty brutal to him, I know. It's going to be awkward interchange in heaven. If you ever listen to that sermon, right, when we get there. Sorry, Samson, my bad. But Samson wasn't faithful. Samson went and did his own thing. He was selfish and he was prideful and he was arrogant. And yet we see from Samuel, Samuel is a man who listens to God, who's faithful, who does what God asks him to do even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. Samuel is someone that you and I can look up to and say, hey, we want to be like him. That even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when things aren't going our way, when it feels like everything's just circling and it's getting worse and worse and worse and we're spiraling out of control, that we cling to this God no matter what. 
The guy Samuel saw and went through some, some terrible times, the nation of Israel. But as you see, when Samuel dies, all Israel, the scripture tells us, gathered and mourned for him. When Saul dies, who's the king? They don't do that. Tells us what the people thought about Samuel. And when Samuel died, they said, man, we lost a good man. When Saul died, it was like, okay, guys, we can all take a deep breath again. It's going to be okay. We want to be the kind of people that, that have a legacy that's good from the beginning, good in the middle, and good at the end. So when our day comes and people gather, all they have to say about us is, man, they were with God. They stuck with God no matter what. And so all God's asking of us is to stick with him no matter what because he sticks with us no matter what, doesn't he? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the example of Hannah and Samuel, two, two people who were faithful to you in all of their ways. And God, we ask that you'd help us to be like them, that no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way in life, whether it's good or it's bad, that we stick close to you. We would find our, our strength, our identity, our hope, we'd find those in you, in you alone knowing that no one else can fulfill those. No one else can hold our heart like you can. God, we are so grateful that we have the opportunity to open this Bible up and to, and to learn from it, to, get, to glean wisdom from it, and to read about all these people who lived thousands of years ago, halfway around the world, and yet still can speak truth into our lives today. Father, we, we thank you for your love and for your grace and your compassion and your mercy, which we see in the person of Jesus. God, we're thankful that he was willing to, to answer your call, that he stuck with you no matter what. And that even as, as he went through an extremely am, amount of pain on the cross, he stuck to the mission. And he offered himself as a sacrifice for us so we could be reconciled, we could be brought back into a relationship with you. And Father, I pray for all, any of those who are here today who, who are just struggling Maybe they're just having a hard time connecting with you or, or even praying. Or maybe they're just, they haven't taken that first step of, of being in a relationship with you. God, we ask that you would move inside them today and every day, that you would help them to, to see that you care, that you're always there, that your ear is always attentive to us. God, that there, help us all to see that there is no one like you in all the earth. There's no one who cares so deeply about us like you do. Father, we thank you. We praise you. It's in the powerful and healing name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.